It's time to start ramping up your 2023 ad strategies. Regardless of your industry or size, Connected TV should play a vital role in your marketing mix, and Mountain is making it more affordable and easier than ever to get seen. Mountain's self-serve platform gets you access to tens of thousands of audience segments, serves your ads exclusively on top streaming networks, and automatically optimizes your campaigns thousands of times a day for peak performance. The result? High-impact ads that always find their target at any time with any show. Visit Mountain.com to learn more. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is a true legend of the comms business, and much more than that, but um, Michael Nyman has had an incredible and a charm career, has founded and led some of the biggest players in some of the most important places and spaces in our business. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're about the same age. I think, Michael, we're going to have a lot of the same references, and uh, we are just thrilled to have you, so a hearty welcome. Thank you, Matt. Thank I'm excited to be with you. Let's let's get into it. Let's get that's that's what they say at the trade. So, Michael, <laughs> you, in addition to all the work that you do uh, at the shop, you also are are pretty active philanthropically and voluntarily. And a subject that you've both written on, and I would imagine comes up in your role as a member of the board of counselors at the Annenberg School, um, is the current state of news, the current state of the economy, the increasing role it seems that uh, culture plays on the economy and, and how it all sort of crashes together. So I, you've written some great stuff about it. You're a thoughtful guy. I'd love to start with sort of your state of the universe as to where we are now heading into the most important time of year, holiday in Q4. Wow. So we're going to tackle something little. <laughs> I thought we'd start with a low barrier. Start with like, a little nugget. Like, yeah. the Hoover, well, like the Hoover Dam. Yes. Well, it's, it's, uh, I love the question. I love, I love the thoughtfulness. And uh, I consider myself a lifelong learner. You know, I'm all about the pursuit of, of knowledge and, um, and being associated with Annenberg School of Communications and Journalism, which is a phenomenal school. Um, so we gotta we gotta promote uh, the Trojans, promote USC, um, and our our dean will obey there. Um, you know, it, it, there's nothing like being on a campus and being at a, associated with a, a school like Annenberg uh, that reminds you that um, we're in a state of uh, you know constant state of change, and um, I think that's sort of where we are almost in when you think about it on a very macro level in our um, society, you know, um, and I've heard you've had other guests who've talked about the, the rate of change or the speed of change. Um, and with technology, obviously, um, you know, things have a tendency to just move quicker. You think about, uh, everything from, um, the way we consume media to actually just think about uh, the mRNA vaccines that were developed for COVID, right? I mean, the speed in which medicine is able to break down uh, uh, DNA and, and, you know, understand the virus and, and build something to combat it is, is pretty remarkable. So we're in this world now where we're globalized. Um, so what happens, you know, around the world, we're hearing a lot about Putin's war, you know, what happens around the world impacts us locally. Um, we have a, um, we do have the, the effects of, uh, of technology. Um, we have an unusual, um, uh, especially in the U S we have an unusual situation as it relates to consumerism. We have such a wide swath of consumers i i believe and i know mark pritchard has promoted this but when i started my company that one of my key points was there is no such thing as mass consumer right now or really ever again all we are is an aggregation of hyper segmentation so if you're a uh, and we're fortunate to be in business with pepsi if you're a brand that reaches the masses you now have to come up with one 
tremendous idea and figure out several different ways to say it and then figure out the way you can channel plan it so it gets to the intended audience, whether you're trying to reach a 14-year-old or an 84-year-old. And then it needs to be done in the way where those folks can react to it, whatever whatever that action, whatever that call out is. Um, now you set that against uh, this crazy world we're in where it just seems like in the last two years and now even with the, are we in a recession or not? We are at this place where, um, you, you know, you've know, you've heard the saying in marketing, never been done before, right? This is a never been done before. We're in an economy never been done before, right? Like what's going on? People are spending money. Um, we've got uh, tight, pretty tight, even with, with the things that are happening lately in the economy uh, with labor force. We really do have a nice, uh, a nice labor force. People are working on the whole. Um, we've got, but obviously we've got super high interest rates. We've got, uh, you know, geopolitical things that are happening, uh, but nothing is really clean and easy. It's not, we're not in this moment where we were even with COVID, where we were with the banking crisis and the crash in, in, in 08. Those were life, those were, those were light switch moments. Everything just went dark, right? 9-11 really on top of the, really the combination of the tech bus and 9-11, we went dark. Like people were head down, paralysis. What do we do now? We've got to pick ourselves off the street, pick ourselves up, and we've got to figure out a way out of it. Those were real clear moments. And then there's the recovery and what you do and where everyone kind of works together in their various, uh, whether they're private or public enterprise, to figure out how we pick ourselves up and get moving again. Th this, this moment we're in right now is so unusual uh, I don't think there is a clear path. And I think dependent upon who you are as a consumer and, uh, you know, and, and where, where and how you might work and where you might live and all of these, all of these, um, these different uh, distinguishing characteristics are going to, are going to provide you with a, a different take on what life means to you right now in, in the U S how hard is it or, or not so hard. And, and what's the way out and when will you start to see the light? So it's it's very unusual. But I think we're at that stage and I and I equate it to um, you know to 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 the marketing for any longstanding and a, uh, a client um, that's been around for you know 50 or 100 years, um, you've got to change. You got to move, you got to react quickly to to change. You need to move quick to market. You need to be able to respond to the changing consumer. And then if you're a new, a new company, maybe you're a direct-to-consumer company, um, you got to move quickly too, but you have the benefit of not having to go and focus on cleaning up the legacy. You can just deal with the here and now. And that was really one of the things that spurred on building out our Acceleration Community Companies platform, as we call it, is this idea that we wanted to build a doing company, not a holding company, but a company that could be made up of specialized marketing media communication service offerings uh, that could respond quickly to the client, understand that, that change is a constant and we need to move quickly, but we want to provide specialized um, services. We weren't going to be a, a, an amalgamation of a bunch of generalized agencies that were all competing with one another. Um, so, so we, like many brands, are, you know, we're sitting there and saying, okay, how do we build for today and, and, and focus on focus on tomorrow. Uh, legacy brands, whether it's a marketing or media brand or whether it's a consumer package good brand, um, they've got to focus. If, if they've been successful for a good long time, good for them. But same time, okay, how do we change what we're doing? How do we not alienate everyone and change? Gotcha. That's fantastic stuff. I, I knew you would give a uh, equally good answer to a decent question. I guess a, a much better answer actually than the question. Uh, so we're going to get into everything about uh, ACC, which I guess is coming up, Michael, on almost five years now already, how, how time goes by so quick. Um, but I, I do want to go back and take us back to 1991 and the very earliest iteration of BNC, which had quite the run. Uh, you almost 20 years before the next evolution of uh, BNC and well 10 years and then another 10 years about three 10-year cycles really 
All right, well, you, you take me through it because, uh, you know, my, my, my crack staff sometimes fails me, Michael. I, ha I must throw someone else under the bus even though there's no one else to throw. So You know what's interesting is the, when, when you look at uh, economic cycles um, and, and there's, uh, I don't know what, I don't know where I picked this up. I'm sure I didn't make it up, but there's, there's sort of an eight to 10 year cycle often in, in uh, certainly in the U S if you go back and you look at, at moments in time um, you know, and you can look at sort of the bull uh, you know, a run of a bull market or bear market um, or certain moments in time. But yeah, I, I graduated out of SC and I, I really, it was one of those things where I worked for four years. I interned and I really, I studied public relations and I was really, I felt prepared uh, academically, uh, sort of the, the idea of textbook knowledge on, on the, 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 the business. And I found myself through a little luck, good fortune, and I guess hard work. Um, and I was, a, a, I was the youngest executive at you know, the firm at the time called Rogers and Cowan. And, um, and, uh, and I, I worked very hard and I had got my hands on some really interesting, uh, sexy business and navigated pretty well and pretty quickly. And in 91, um, so four years later, um, joined Howard Bragman, who was a, a, a uh, you know, longtime PR guy, still is, who was out of Burson, out of Chicago. We met, he had just split from Burson and, and we basically did this business model on the back of the envelope talking about being in LA. Um, we felt that it was really the entertainment capital. And at the same time, we felt, geez, you know, there's, there's an underrepresentation of good corporate work being done here. Um, today, we'd probably call that brand work, but good corporate work. It was primarily happening in New York and Chicago. Geez, what if we could build a, a business that would speak to and leverage entertainment and corporate together? And that's where I think we got, we, we found a really interesting formula. And then to sort of make it even more special, we started to, uh, Brad Caffarelli came in and was wonderfully talented entertainment publicist. And we began to develop divisions that were spe specific to those areas that were both uh, subject matter expertise, like a film division or a TV division or a talent division. And then we had skill uh, skill set. So we looked at doing, yes, we're going to do communications, but we started something called influencer. Yes, influencer before, before the commercialization of the internet, the idea of leveraging talent, early influencer and hiring photographers to take pictures of stars at retail and doing different things and leveraging that. Um, we, we introduced the new Mercedes S class back in the nineties with a lot of influencer work. Um, and we did experiential. We started to launch and do interesting things around sexy parties where you could get influencers and VIPs together with corporate execs and for the launch of something. And it, it became, um, it grew very quickly. I thought we had a very good winning sexy formula. So by the time 2000 rolled around, we actually found ourselves in discussions with a lot of holding companies made a decision to join IPG back in the day. Larry Weber was, um, who is just, just a fantastic, smart, visionary guy, uh, had, uh, Weber. I'm sure a lot of your listeners know Weber, Weber Shamwick today joined IPG. We had a lot of, um, big ideas about what we wanted to, to get done. Some of which we, we got done. Some of it really fell to, um, you know, we couldn't find the fight, the inertia of a, of a big hold co. Um, and then in 2009, nine years later, um, we felt like it was time uh, with the recession and everything just kind of going south. I felt like there was an opportunity to do more. So after some discussions with the leadership at, at IPG and actually helped along by the current IPG CEO, Philippe Perkowski, we, we were able to create a new, well, what we certainly back then consider a superpower by creating a PMK BNC and I had the opportunity to lead that. And that was wonderful. And that was like, you know, our, our model on steroids between really now at that point, focusing on entertainment and pop culture, merging with today's sexiest brands. And we, we really got that thing built up uh, over 300 people, London, New York, LA. Um, 
you know, I guess I can talk about numbers, right? So long ago. Yeah, we did, we did about 250 million in, in gross. I mean, I, we were significantly sized and I would say significantly influential group um, representing some of the greatest consumer brands of the, you know, of those, you know, 2010s um, and, and really bringing in, um, you know, launching brands like, you know, the Beats by Dre and, and really bringing a lot of cool and working with our good friends and partners at Samsung uh, as they really had a great run on their phones and uh, throw in um, some great uh, wine and, and uh, beer brands and brands like American Express and uh, GM and then roll that rode that into Audi. Just outstanding. Like, you know, you took you just can't believe you're working with these these brands so it really it was it wasn't just work it was exciting and uh, and a, just a really great a great run a lot of fun a lot of great people a lot of great partners so you and i have exactly the same time references we both graduated from college in the same year in 1986 yep what public relations met back then when you started first at Rogers and Cowan and yeah. then your own shop. Yeah. I, early in my career, I knew Harold uh, Burson, who you referenced pretty well. He was a great mentor to me early in my career when I was running the sports commission for New York. And then I worked for another good Howard, Howard Pastor at Hill and Knowlton, which was oh, a great, sure, sure. Great, great shop and a great guy. So legends, the fundamental, definition of communications and you've had your finger on the pulse and have as good a perspective as anybody could we just talk about the evolution of what pr meant then and and we'll just define more broadly communications and what it means today yeah i think back then it was deeply founded in um principles around i would say um messaging and good solid um we'll call it um you know fact-based writing and storytelling and positioning and at a time where media was uh abundant there was a there was definitely an abundance of media right the idea of earned media at a time where there was uh, the ability to develop a storyline or come up with a, a, a concept, maybe a trend story or maybe just an announcement and, and work with a journalist on developing a, a story that was earned. And with that, carried a lot of weight, you know, had a lot of influence to get something across a mass media like a New York Times or maybe something on um, 60 Minutes. Um, back then, as you, as you know, um, you, you, you popped on one of those mass media outlets, you, millions of people saw it. I mean, millions today we're laughing at, you know, something being most, you know, the most watched television show. And it's got like, you know, 10 million, <laughs> 10 million viewers, but back then you could reach, um, and, and, and that was, you know, the equivalent on advertising, right? You could, you could create a commercial pop into a, a, a hit primetime show and you knew that you could both generate the awareness, create an image, and create a call to action all in one felt swoop because you had millions of people that were going to see it. So it was a, it was a time where um, you could go out and there really was a mass medium. Um, and, and print was a powerful tool. And television certainly was a powerful media. And, um, and PR was incredibly important and often... I'm sure you remember, um, really the instigator or the igniter of a story, because if back then um, something would appear in the New York Times two days later, it's being covered on CNN. Right. I mean, it's just that was the way stories sort of rolled out. Um, and uh, and then further down the road after that, it might develop into a longer feature like there was a life to storytelling today where we're like this. We're in and out. We're on to the next. Back then, you could really, in a, in a really uh, uh, well-constructed way, you could take one story idea and move it across media and have each media have a different sort of angle or treatment on it. 
Next thing you know, it becomes like a one or two week story cycle with one idea, with one story. You know, today, Bob Iger, we know about it in the moment. We know it on Sunday. We see the break. We see the news. It's not breaking news. We see that breaking news Sunday. We see the longer features on Monday. And Bob, you know, he's such a rock star uh, CEO and beloved. And now it's, you know, it's, it's out on Tuesday and it's going to be, you know, it'll be with us for a few days. That's highly unusual, right? It's just not the way it is. So, so, so the essence of PR, I would say back then was highly influential and highly valuable because it was earned, right? It wasn't paid for today. Same principles apply, but different tools of the trade. Now as a, as a, you know, PR person, you need to be thinking much more strategically. You need to be thinking about, you know, am I going to get an entree size piece or is this going to be an appetizer and I need to figure out a way to move the needle? Is this something I can use an influencer for? Do I generate some interesting content to help tell that story? So the tools have changed, but I think the principles still are there is what are the message? What's the messaging? What is the story we're trying to tell? Can I be compelling enough in my work with third party with journalists of all kind to get this to get this uh, story across. Uh, the thing that always got me is I always felt that the PR people were some of the smartest people, but yet they were they were being outsmarted in many ways by just the advertising industry, which really became a behemoth. And, you know, because you guys are such a big part of, of that um, advertising and the role of advertising as a trade has evolved so uniquely and has really now canvassed and taken over a great wide swath of marketing and PR sort of stuck to their knitting and, you know, not to get competitive, but, um, uh, but I will, I think, you know, and I, I forgive me being crass, but I think, I think the trade industries of advertising have you know, really kicked the PRs, but. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. I think they're certainly better organized in some respects. They're better organized. They're better reported. They've, they've, they've got more happening in the, uh, uh, campaigns and trade, uh, trade awards. Yeah. We, you know, uh, yeah. you've got trade shows as you know, cause you guys are, are doing them. It's just, you know, they're, and they are in effect owning PR, right. So they're sort of overarching, with their with their with their uh, work, but um, but certainly both are very very important. I think it's been slightly subsumed. L let me throw out a theory to you um, that in the older days, we'll use that reference. Uh, you were on offense more, and today you're on defense more. Do you agree? Disagree? Somewhere in the middle? Yeah, I think I think from a marketing perspective. You do need to focus in on what your core values are, right? And we, we hear a lot about businesses saying or brands saying, you know, we need, we need to have purpose. Um, we need to work a lot harder. We need to make sure it used to be leaders led and everyone followed. And now leaders are really, when I say leaders, think about uh, CEOs. Uh, they need to lead, but they also need to, um, they need a community build. Right. So they can't just like lead like, you know, if you're a fan of old school, you're Will Ferrell and you're streaking to the quad and no one's following you. You need to be able to lead, lead like you need to be able to say, let's go. And, and you need to be able to move and have your people move with you. So there's a lot of effort. And then as it relates to the client, you sure as heck better make sure that whatever your marketing game plan is going to be, that it really can um, sort of manage uh, all the stress tests, right? Before you go out and you do your campaign, you really need to have that stuff uh, thought through. Um, there's a thing about Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, um, and I and I can't remember. You're more you're a New Yorker, right? I know you went yes. to Emory, but you're yeah, a New no, Yorker. definitely New Yorker. So, but the yeah. Patriots, which I know are the thorn of the Jets, thorn of the side of the Jets, but. Bill Belichick uh, used to have a guy in his staff for many years. And the way they prepared to go into a game was they didn't just focus on their own. They focused on how the opponent was going to play them. If you're the opponent, how do you beat them? And their, and their game plan was based on that. So when you go out now and you are going to unveil a significant campaign, 
and you're the client, or, or in our case, let's say an, an agency or a group of agencies that is supporting or perhaps leading or partnering with the client, you really need to understand um, the reaction and really plan for that as opposed to just putting it out there and saying, yeah, I think, think this thing's gonna, gonna go. And I think, I think we see a lot of that. I don't think, I know we see a lot of that um, behavior from brands today because I mean, look, look how much money they're focused on, uh, on performance media, right? Everything's got to have a, you know, everything's got to have a, uh, a, a return. So uh, I'm not saying everything's middle of the funnel right now, but if you're going to go top of the funnel, work your way through it, you really need to have things really well thought out, including what the competition is going to think, including how consumers are going to react. Are you going to alienate your consumers that are already with you in, in pursuit of trying to find new consumers? You know, uh, it's tricky out there. So, so maybe a better way to say it was we used to play checkers and now we're really p- playing chess. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a great way to say it. All right, all right. So let's let's keep going, and I want to go back to sort of our opening conversation about where we are culturally and politically, economically at this moment in time, and draw a line between that and that old notion, which you also touched on, referring back to Howard uh, and Harold. You know, iconic figures, icons, leaders, and charismatic leaders. So what we just saw happen with Bob Iger, that's unusual. Bob is in a very small group of folks who got out on top, who retain their reputation, and who most people, conventional wisdom would say, are happy to see, have back. Talk about where we are right now in business and culture on that notion of charismatic leadership. And is there too much of culture that tears people apart before they get to become a Bob Iger? Yeah, well, um, really, that's interesting. I thought a lot about that over the years. Um, and I, I do believe that the quote unquote, um, we'll call it the, uh, the generation of celebrity CEOs was really birthed by uh, the Internet. That's my belief. Um, and I'm not saying that those are the only CEOs, but I do believe that when the economy started to pick back up in the early 2000s. We had a lot of, of uh, tech companies as we do today, but tech was really moving the market, moving the needle. And tech early days was very hard to understand, right? You think about uh, the adoption of the internet. The internet was commercialized in the mid 90s. Um, another favorite leader of mine back in the day, Andy Grove, one of the founders of Intel. Um, talk about great marketing, right? Um, Intel, sure. um, you know, how do you get people to, to understand that you got a, you know, a super chip, you know, a, a, a chip inside of a computer and why, the, why it's important to find and buy one, one of those that has that sticker. Um, so I do believe that the technology market was a tricky one to really understand. You know, John Chambers and Cisco, what does that mean? Is Cisco, what do they do? Um, so I, 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 I do equate that the development of CEOs as personalities and being out in front of their companies was something that the that the internet age um, and the and the evolution or the the uh, invention of all these um, tech-enabled businesses or tech businesses um, really moved the needle and created uh, a lot of the excitement around CEOs. Uh, but it wasn't just limited to them. I think you can go back and you can look at um, Jack Welch, um, uh, certainly Warren Buffett, but but Welch was an interesting guy who took over uh, at the time a, a really interesting company, and he had certain models and beliefs on how he wanted to run his business, and he wasn't shy about talking about it. Um, and I think early days you had uh, you had CEOs in the early days of the 2000s that really had complicated companies, and I think the best way to move the needle on on uh, earnings or uh, to get people to understand what what the value is of these companies, to get people's attention and to recruit people to those companies was to create this rock star CEO. I think early days, the jobs of the world, I think those there were mostly men, mostly men and, and men that had deep conviction and men that were generals by nature, right? Jobs was a general. Um, 
And there was just an occult of personality and people just fell in line. And I think what we're seeing today is the celebrity CEO is still with us, but I think things have changed. I think the, the CEOs that are celebrated the most are really those that are community builders, right? Not generals. Those are people that can take the temperature like an Iger and know just what to say or how to curate that community, his company, to get the best uh, performance. So there's that high EQ or empathy, empathy, a sensitivity to culture, an understanding of purpose. It's much more multidimensional. And I think that if you want to be a leader today, while there may be a, a shortcut through legal uh, a legal education or a financial education, ultimately the, the most successful CEOs, I believe, are those that can be right and left-brained and have huge empathy, you know, have that EQ down and are really good at constituency management, that they really understand who the heck can influence or who they need to influence to ensure the best success for their company to navigate it at such a, we'll call it an exciting time, but also an uncertain time. Yeah, no, very well said. Uh, moving slowly but steadily towards ACC, you do a lot of work in the influencer space. Most of those folks, to my way of thinking, and, and again, I'm not the target audience demographically, they're not really sustained over the long period of time. You know, I love going to see the old bands. My wife and I just went and saw The Who. Today for the CEO, the CMO, lots written there and talked about shorter tenures, but is it harder to sustain success today? Yeah, I think it is. I think the, you know, we hear a lot about regime change. Um, and I think any CEO or CMO that comes into a situation, if they're coming from outside in, they're going to bring, try and bring along uh, what we'll call sort of their model for success or their formula for success. Um, and that will undoubtedly include key individuals who you believe that you can rely on that have certain skill sets that can help bring your team to uh, or maximize performance for your team and ultimately the brand, the firm. And um, we see a lot with CMOs. Um, but I think for CEOs, we see certainly a longer tenure. This, it's, it's hard as a CMO because, again, we talk about change um, and we look at uh, performance. Everything is so measured now. Uh, it's a lot of stress for a CMO. And um, there's only so much you can control, right? You're, you're sort of in the driver's seat in terms of storytelling and supporting sales, let's say, um, and figuring out how to manage consumers. Um, but you're not the CEO. You're not the board. Um, you're not necessarily the person that's creating and curating and managing products and service or inventory. So the CMO is like all the influence, but at the same time, you can't control a whole lot, right? You know, you've seen it before. You've seen great CMOs try and sell something, but if the product or service falls short, whose fault is that? So I think the CMO is a, is a an amazing position to achieve and some of our smartest minds and some, some of our greatest leaders, but it's, it's a tricky, tricky terrain. The best ones, I guess you either go and you stay a good long time or you have um, chapters where you go in and you, and you have success and measured success. And then you say, I've done my job here and I move on. You go to another company, um, which is, there's no problem in that. Um, the CEO is a little different. And I think they're built uh, differently. And as I said before, there's paths. I think a lot of it is financial and legal and then to a certain degree, uh, marketing. Um, there's, you know, there's obvious paths to get to that CEO, that CEO job. Um, but you're right. It's, it's tenuous at best. It's a really difficult time because we are in a constant state of change. I mean, think about where, where we've been, right? We had, Everything was sailing along, we thought, and then COVID hit and we had lights out. It was complete, complete darkness. And, and um, you know, for most companies uh, or for many companies, there's a lot of paralysis analysis. Uh, and then it took time to work its way through. And then all of a sudden we had, you know, 
everything, it was like the light was turned back on and we saw what happened to the market. We saw the government reaction, the Fed reaction, the consumer reaction. And, uh, and now we have this, are we, or are we not in this state of recession? I mean, think about all that has changed in the last 36 months. It's like uh, whiplash, not to mention an election. Right. And, and, and another one looming, uh, looming and ahead. Another one looming. Let's start to shift focus and, and talk about ACC. You had give or take two years pre-COVID from launch. But what I'd like to talk about once, you know, we're going to get into the business, of course, is that decision, Michael, to go back into the founder swimming pool. You've been a CEO for a long time and have certainly been a founder, but that's a very kind of gutsy decision. Yeah. To go back into that pool. Can we go back to the, the earliest thought processes there and then give us the ACC origin story, if you will? Well, Matt, there is a lot of people who said just what you said. Are you sure? Or what are you doing? <laughs> As a founder, I understand completely. Yeah. Um, I think a couple things. First off, I'm a big believer that business is personal. And you always hear people say it's, it's not personal, it's business. I think the other way around, and I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean it in a good way that we're all driven or so many of us are driven by what's at the core of who we are as people and whatever those values and beliefs are. And then from there, we, we move out to have our roles in society and pursue our passions or our businesses. So for me, I had uh, my second of my two kids going off to college in 20 uh, at the time, 2018. And I was, I was really thinking about the notion of time. And being in my 50s, I had felt that I had accomplished a fair amount and had a good amount of knowledge. And at the same time, I had enthusiasm and excitement and strong, strong interest in a next chapter. And because my kids were now launched, at least into college, I felt like, OK, I've got time. You know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I've, I've read or heard you talk about your own kids and and it's a blessing you have kids, I think. And, uh, you know, you get engaged at their lives. And, and so time is short. But in this situation, I had the opposite. I had the realization I was going to have a lot of time. So I took a, a little bit of time thinking about what I could do with it. And I realized that if I was ever to make a shift, that was really going to be the, the moment where I had the time and I could do a lot of thinking and architecting. So I took a lot of nights thinking about what, what life would be like. What, what am I going to do? Um, I had to do something. Um, so I focused on staying what, what, with uh, what I knew. And I looked at, uh, we'll call it the, the marketing, uh, media, advertising, communications business, call it what you, whatever, whatever you want to call it. And I looked at three things. I looked at the complexity of consumer, which is what, we, what I mentioned earlier before about uh, messaging and, and uh, segmentation of, of the marketplace. Um, I looked at clients' wants and needs, and to me, um, it's a tough time to be uh, to be in business and to be a marketer. It's very exciting, but it's tough. And there's a lot of clients' wants and needs, um, efficiencies, measurement, speed to market. They want specialization. Uh, they want you to be able to integrate. But I, I was really rocked. It was really solid in my mind, rock solid in my mind, that the idea of outsourcing all these services was was going to, regardless of technology innovations and regardless of the every few year cycle of threat of oh my god, all these companies are going to bring marketing in house. I was I felt very strongly that that there was a long you know the industry was going to be around a good long time. And then the third thing is as I looked at the landscape and I recognized when I drew it up on a board that the world of of, of Marketing services was really divided into two. One, the what I call the old, old holding company models uh, that were that were built on the back of media and creative, and we know all those holding companies. And I was at one, and then we saw um, this movement uh, of those companies to move towards data and science, and then we saw um, a younger version of these holding companies that were. Uh, historically in business consulting, Accenture, PwC, Bain, that were long on science and data and were spending money on creative and media. And I saw this collision. 
And then on the other side, I said, okay, well, what's happening with agencies? And then I saw a clear distinction. I saw these mega agencies, many of whom were inhabiting the holding companies, right? We see like the McCann Erickson's and Shiat Days. And these are companies that are great storied companies that were built on the back originally of creative, originally about advertising. And now they will sell you anything. They do everything. They're big. They're networks. And, and many of them are, you know, old now at 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And the best ones are still around. And that's a testament to the leadership and the, and the people and the brand, et cetera. So the last thing that I looked at was what I, what really blew me away was thousands and thousands and thousands of independent agencies, many of whom were actually specialists, many of whom were led by younger people. Why? Because and I don't know if you've noticed, but in the last 20 years, I don't have the data point on it, but there are more entrepreneurs in America <laughs> than ever before. And technology does enable you to be up and running with a business pretty darn quickly. And, and we saw through COVID too, that the ability to not have to be necessarily in the same room. So I thought, hey, if I could take the best virtues, the best characteristics of, of holding companies and change the, the attitude and the behaviors and make it be more like a doing company, would that serve the needs of, of, of independent agencies that I could bring into my platform? And while they're in there, would I get real good collaboration if I could say to those agency leaders, you're going to be our group that leads us in experiential. You're going to be our group that does design and fabrication. You're going to be our group that does data. This You're going to be our group that does influencer and so on and so forth. But basically go to these companies and let them carry that torch for that specialization and put them in an org structure that doesn't look like, oh, it's the big agency on top and it's the little guys on the bottom. No, we're going to be circular in nature. It doesn't matter where the clients come in. There's no top. There's no bottom. It's a continuum. And oh, by the way, our group, our doing means that we're of service to you. We're actually going to help you grow. We're going to help you solve the headaches that you have. And then at the same time, we're going to try and stay out of your way to do what you do best. So that was, that was really the, the notion of creating this, this platform, if you will. And, um, and, the, and what's critical, obviously, is being able to acquire companies that are at the right age and stage. Many times, companies are sold that are sort of at their pinnacle. And for us, our, our whole model is let's find companies that are, we'll call it sort of from an age and stage, maybe five to 15 years old. There's, there's certainly success, but you're finding companies where maybe there's some frustration that they might be better aligned or collaborating with others but they still have a good run in them. And they are also humbled enough where they want to be around other people like them who share culture and values, but maybe do something different. And that really is the secret sauce. And it's a simple idea, I think. I, uh, I you know, before I launched or, you know, really went all the way in, I took a f few business meetings and everyone got it. And I took some time and I wrote like a 60 page brand Bible, like I was launching a brand. Uh, that was really sort of uh, very visual and, 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 and had all the, really the architecture. And I felt between the financial business thesis and the, the brand architecture that I had what I needed. I got a, um, I found, uh, you know, a nice supporter on the way. And it was important that we built out um, this unique model. And we, we built out an advisory group, which is sort of a soft starting point where we found a lot of our old clients showing up at our doorstep saying, I'm working on launching a new brand and maybe their CMO of a new place. And they want to start a conversation with us with the hope that we can deliver them the specialized services that we have, or maybe even bundle two or three or four things together. We're not yet fully built where we can say to a client, we can give you 360 with what we have within our our community, but we'll, we will get there. And I think there, there's a place for us to play in that sort of direct to consumer group where there's millions of dollars spent on, on, uh, on a 360 offering, you know, but, but along the, along, uh, certainly along, uh, as we build, there's plenty of ways for us to work with the brands that we work with. As I mentioned before, some amazing brands from Pepsi to T-Mobile to Google and Facebook and Nike and Dosec and Netflix and Delta and, um, you know, just kind of go on and on, Nissan and Amazon, really cool brands. 
and uh, and we're working with them in a wide variety of ways. Sometimes it is a specialized offering, and sometimes it's about bundling a service where we do two or three or four things together, and we can do it in an integrated, simplified way where the client gets one bill, you know, one invoice, one dashboard to measure it, one account manager to lead the way. So there's less confusion, and there's lo- there's there's not infighting, and 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 hopefully it's obviously more financially efficient or feasible for the client. So that's really what we're striving for. And Matt, I really uh, you talk about this 50 year, you talk about historical. I celebrate that the greatness of the past, but we really are focused only on today and tomorrow, right? I don't have to spend a lot of time fixing legacy. I don't have to sit there and say, how do I fix my real estate problem in New York? Or what do I do with this company that's now 40 years old and they don't have the same magic that they had before? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely, uh, uh, you know, the whole story hangs together beautifully. And it, it's you know, you kind of saw it was out there. You've been doing this. You know what exists. What's the opportunity to build something anew for the world the way it is today, not the way the world was? I, I, I got gotcha. you. And again, through that prism of a founder, how much of the vision that you had has come to fruition? COVID, obviously, a little variable along <laughs> the way, uh, not, yeah. to, not to discount that, uh, that slight disruption. Uh, but give us that sort of deviation or what sort of worked out like you thought and what surprised you, if anything? Um, well, from a, from a surprise, COVID was a huge surprise. And um, I guess what surprised me um, was the way everyone, our leadership responded during COVID. And I think it helped that many of whom had been through uh, the, you know, the bank crisis, the 2008 lights out moment. Um, and, and even some, you know, what it was like in, after 9-11, um, you know, so people that may have been around in a work environment over the past two decades, um, there were moments where you could sort of draw analogies or you could understand the behavior or the fear factor that was going on in people's minds, whether they're consumers or whether they are workforce. Um, but it did, it did surprise me to get hit by that thing so soon. We really, really 2018 in the last half of the year was really a formation year, but we really weren't year one until 2019. So we had a good year. We bought a couple companies and then Q120, the lights went out. Um, But I will say that the resiliency of people, um, our agencies responded beautifully. And in a weird sort of way, it allowed the leadership of those groups to really understand what was near and dear to their business who are the people that mattered most, right? Who are the people that, that sacrificed the most or, or led? You find out a lot about your organization and, and we were able to come out on, in every agency. We came out stronger foundationally, right? We had centralized the business. We had understood that we had the right people in the right uh, positions. Um, from an economic point of view, we had stronger uh, margins. We just... You know, being it's, you know, being torn down like that, you're able to reconstruct in a really healthy way. Um, So it surprised me to see, and I look back on it, really was health for so many people. I mean, horrible. Um, But I was pleasantly surprised by the way people were able to use the pandemic to to come out the other side even stronger and better. but but in terms of uh, you know Matt, you're asking about sort of the 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 model and where we reside today. Um, it really is. It, it it feels great. I mean, it's 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 kind of happening. Like I drew it up, and I'm I'm uh, I'm so excited, and um, I love the you know the people that get it, the clients and. And the not just the agencies that we have and, uh, that we've 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 built, but really like just talking to agencies about the possibility of joining us, people get it. Like it's 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 wonderful. Like they they really understand the why and the how, and they're interested. And I think a lot of it is certainly what we're architecting, but I also think it's the it's the it's the time, right? It's like um, 
you know, it's, it's, it's a different model. Like you kind of going back to my drawing that I put up on my whiteboard originally on what the, what the industry looked like. So we look a little different and, and different is interesting. And if you can tell a good story and, 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 and give answers versus, you know, I don't know, um, have a strong opinion. I think people like that too. So it's been, it's been great. It's been, um, affirm, it's been really reaffirming. Uh, but it's been, you know, it's hard. It's been hard. I'm not going to lie. The COVID thing really set us back two years. You know, um, we're, you know, we're four years old. We really, it feels like we're, we're probably a couple, you know, a couple of years into, you know, what we're, what we're doing. Um, so. It's a great, great story, Michael. And I'm so glad that we uh, got a chance to have this uh, conversation. Uh, I must ask you, because initially I thought it was Ted Williams, but now I think it's Yaz yeah, it's, behind you. It's, is it it's, Ted Williams or Yaz? It's Ted Williams. Tell. It is Ted Williams. Okay. Yeah. It, it looked a little like it might be Kolyastremsky also. But. Well, you know, the, um, the reason why I have it in there is he's one of my favorite historical, I never saw him play, but one of my favorite historical sports figures for a wide variety of reasons. He uh, was a player in five decades. He's what I would consider to be the greatest all-around hitter of all time. He was interrupted by three tours of duty and then came back and still did what he did. Last man hit over 400. He was, uh, you know, baseball or sports in general are um, as much artistic, right? You watch Michael Jordan play basketball. You say that's an artist on the court. Um, Ted Williams was um, as much a scientist. He, he created what, what is called now the art of hitting. And he literally had a diagram. So he knew if a, if a ball came in a certain trajectory in a certain location, that he would have a better shot at hitting, getting a hit and also knowing where to what field he was going to hit it. And, and I feel like it's analogous to what we're building in our business, which is a combination of art and science. And um, cause I certainly like to lean into the teachings and learnings and, and science and data of it all. Um, and, uh, and then the last thing I would say about him is if from afar, he was a curmudgeon and maybe not super well-liked, uh, but for those that knew him intimately, he would secretly and quietly uh, do very generous things uh, for people not seeking uh, credit um, at a time and a, a place where, you know, he knew people were talking about him in a certain way, but he didn't, he still rather just be uh, quietly generous. Um, so an, an interesting man. And, uh, and anyways, that's why he's residing behind oh, me. Oh, a worthy, <laughs> a, a worthy, worthy character to, uh, have yeah, a, thank a, you a for high, noticing a high place over your shoulder. Michael, thanks so much for doing this. Absolute pleasure. all have a favorite TV ad. TV tells powerful, memorable stories that influence and inspire. And as streaming becomes the new way we watch, brands can now measure their ads' impact down to the last decimal. Mountain's self-serve connected TV marketing software provides real-time insights that take the guesswork out of ad measurement. Mountain lets you build customizable dashboards with the metrics that matter most and compare your campaigns to other channels with leading web analytics integrations. You can even track when viewers visit your website or make a purchase, regardless of what household device they use. Visit Mountain.com to learn more.